Hey everyone and welcome to this edition of the Payoff Pitch. I'm Chris Steele. I'm going to be joined later in the show by James Vecchio. Tonight, we all have to do the exact same thing. We've got to check all over ourselves and make sure we've got no substances whatsoever or Joe Girardi is just going to burst in here and try to, you know, have some sort of inquisition because nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. So Joe Girardi is going to burst in at any moment now and just demand to find out if we have any substances on us, sunscreen, anything like that. And there's no repercussions for doing that over and over again. He can act like a bag all he wants. He can eventually get thrown out of the game for coming out of the dugout to try to fight a pitcher on the mound. If you haven't caught up with what's going on in baseball right now, it's hit a new level of ridiculousness. And it was a, something that DJ kind of put in the bloodstream for our show last week. He thought it was going to be about substances. And I didn't really even think this was going to be a major issue because I didn't think it was actually going to come up. But of course, managers want to find a way to make some sort of gamesmanship out of it. And when they do that, they're just hurting the game because somebody like Joe Girardi thinks he's going to get to somebody like Matt Scher Max Scherzer by repeatedly making the umpires go out there and check him for some sort of foreign substance when that's not actually doing anything for anybody. It's just hurting the sport and it's hurting the sport repeatedly because why not? There's no repercussions for Girardi whatsoever other than getting ejected for trying to fight a guy on the field. Great move. Your team's going really far this year. I am going to really enjoy seeing you on all of those postseason broadcasts up in the booth. Don't worry about it, Joe. You got this handled. All right. Even better than that is I think that Clayton Kershaw actually has a good idea to enforce this ludicrous rule that comes down from Manfred, who has no idea what's ever going on and hasn't gotten a single thing correct in his entire interim as commissioner. It should be interim because he didn't really want this job in the first place. So if you look at Manfred's entire career, none of it's been done right. He's got the Houston Astros under his belt. They were actually cheating, and he missed that one. Missed the boat big time on that one. But hey, we're out here to try and get guys who aren't cheating, like Max Scherzer, who has been great throughout most of his career, and there's no real implication there. Now, if we're looking at this from a fantasy perspective, how is this going to affect players that are on our teams? Now, take a look at what happened to somebody like Garrett Cole. Now, all of a sudden, Garrett Cole's spin rate goes from where it was to the lowest drop he's had since 2017. Does that mean sell on Garrett Cole? Probably not. Garrett Cole's probably savvy enough that he's better than Pirates Garrett Cole, who in 2017 was a guy you hope could be good someday. Someday. We're hoping that Garrett Cole is going to be one of the top five pitchers in all of baseball this year. So we can't have 2017 Garrett Cole show up all of a sudden and expect him to be great. Garrett Cole is somebody that if you have him on your team, you need him to be great every single time out. Right now, I don't know if I can trust him to do that. I'm going to give him a run in my lineup until I see otherwise, but there's reason for concern here. If that spin rate is dropping lower than it has in five years, you have to start thinking about 
if there is something that he needs to get to where he needs to be. Now, of course, guys are using substances. It's something James and I have talked about on the show before. Hitters want it. Players are fine with it. Everybody has this unspoken rule about it. And as silly as the unspoken rules in baseball are, this is one that it's completely fine with everybody. Everyone wants to complain about it under the radar, but everybody's fine with it and accepts it. By going out and doing what they've done here, Major League Baseball is just making themselves look silly. And there's no repercussions, like I said. Clayton Kershaw threw out the idea of if you go out to check a guy for a foreign substance and you come up empty, then you lose a challenge. It's a very acceptable and reasonable request. But if you look at it, the implication here is that they're cheating. And if they're cheating, they're thrown out of the game. The manager should have something that's proportional to that. If you'd come out and do this, it should be an automatic walk for whoever is on, whoever is at bat at that moment. If you're so certain about it, put whoever is in the batter's box at that moment on first base. If you think you've got somebody dead to rights, go ahead and try your luck. If you come up empty, you should pay a price too. And it should be harsher than losing a challenge. It should be bigger because you're coming after somebody's reputation right now. And this is just a terrible look for the entire league. And, you know, Manfred just, he never gets it right. That's the one thing you can depend on when it comes to baseball is they're never going to get it right. They're not going to get it right when it comes to the DH. It's something everybody wants. They're still going to get it wrong. And maybe in collective bargaining, when that starts to happen, people are going to see that happen. And they're going to get that eventually with the DH coming into baseball. But right now, we're fighting battles over things that don't need to be fought. And it's ridiculous. And James, the thing we have to do starting the show out is we just have to check ourselves all over for foreign substances because at any moment, Joe Girardi is going to burst in the room and start looking for something and we're going to be thrown out of the game. Yeah, you know, that's why I showed up a little bit late. My computer had a foreign substance and had to restart. So, yeah, it's that exact concept where I don't understand why uh, Joe Girardi felt the need to do it other than it's clearly just gamesmanship. He's clearly just trying to get in the Nationals' head. He's clearly trying to spark his team. And while it's stupid, it's an age-old tradition for baseball. They always do this. That's why we would have ample amount of mound visits because they were just trying to delay it, the gamesmanship is always going to be part of the game. It's kind of an annoying part. No one really likes it, even the purest of pure. But it's what it is. It's why, oh, do you use your replay challenge early? If you didn't, you'd replay challenge everything. Why? To get pitchers out of rhythm. It's it, Whenever you're adding another layer, you're adding another layer of gamesmanship. So while it's stupid, it's to be expected. And to expect that it's not going to happen is just the wrong expectation. I haven't really heard what Joe Girardi's like opinion about it is if he's intentionally doing it to try to bring some attention to how ridiculous it is or the fact that he's just a bag who's going to try to get his team from fourth place to third place and make himself look a little better. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's the latter. I think he's just trying to 
make his team a little bit better, try and find some sort of edge that may or may not even actually exist. And again, it's stupid, but I, I get it. If my team was struggling and I wanted to try and disrupt Max Scherzer from pitching a gem, I'm okay with doing it. I, I get it. it. It's it's part of the nuance of baseball. There's so much rhythm. There's more rhythm in this sport than in any other sport. Basketball is so much more ad-libbing. Football is so much more play-oriented. Baseball is about rhythm. You get a pitcher who's in excellent rhythm, it's going good. Suddenly he's out of rhythm, and he starts walking people. He starts to lose his control. And, and this is going to be a part of it. And frankly, overall, I think it's worth it. I think getting spider tech out of the game is worth the occasional, I don't know, once a week, hey, go check this guy real fast. And then all it does is really add drama. All it does is make Max Scherzer mad at the Phillies and his fans. We want the players to not like the other team. That's what we want. So I'm okay with it. I understand it's stupid and it's just not like rooted in a smart and sound baseball strategy of, well, I truly did think that he had some sandpaper this inning or he had the spider tack on his glove. This that That's nonsense. But what it is is it's trying to spike an edge, and that's what we've been doing in the history of baseball for 150 years. Why would we stop? It's just it's frustrating from a baseball fan perspective because baseball keeps talking about how they're trying to speed up the game, even though that's not really an issue, I think, for most baseball fans. They keep continuing to say they're trying to speed up the game when at the same time, instant replay, and just like you're saying, the gamesmanship of the game in doing this is going to slow down the game. You have to have somebody go out there. You have to have somebody check them over every time. It's essentially a mound visit, and that's what they tried to get rid of, and here it is again. Well, I mean, if we're being honest, the concept of baseball needs to get faster and needs to speed up the game it's just a bold-faced lie by all parties. No one needs to speed up the game. No one is not going to a baseball game because if it was two hours and 45 minutes, they would. And since it's three hours and 20 minutes, they don't go. That's nonsense. That, that segment of the fan base is, is so negligible, it, it's just beyond belief to consider it. The reason they talk about speeding up the game is they want to fit in more time for commercials. That's what they're trying to do. They also want to have a reason to say, oh, that's why baseball fans aren't coming out to the games. And not, oh, it's because we wait until 7 o'clock to start all the games on the East Coast. Why? Because we want to get all the TV revenue coming in from the TV stations. And we don't actually care about the fan experience at the field when it comes at the expense of the TV revenue. That's the truth. So what do they do? They make up this nonsense that, oh, it's about the speed of the game. It's not about that. It's because no one wants to go to a game at 7 p.m., get out at 10 p.m., and it's Tuesday and have to go to work the next day. No one wants to do that, relatively speaking. You still sell tickets to those games, but you're not going to sell out because it's Tuesday, it's June, it's a game that doesn't matter, it's a game that you're telling us doesn't matter by expanding playoffs, and that's just what it is. And so I, I just don't believe the premise that the game needs to be sped up, and I don't believe the premise that anyone within the sport believes that. I think it's just a lie to just create the idea and divert eyes away from the sense that it's all about TV money. It's, that's what it is. If it was about the speed of the game, figure out the blackout rules because you've had people complaining about this forever and there's no effort made there. Yeah, because the TV providers don't want to make the effort and the MLB 
gets their money from the TV providers. So yeah, when the cable companies say no, the MLB listens because they're their biggest customer. They make the most money off of them. So yeah, you lose a segment of your fan base with the blackout rules. And frankly, they don't care because they make more money off of TV. If they made more money off that segment that wasn't watching, then they would care. It's, I mean, it's a tale of capitalism. Follow the money wherever it goes. That'll tell you who's making the decisions. And, and that's what's going on. And to bring it full circle, to bring it back to spider attack and checking of the gloves and all of that, it it doesn't do anything. It's a talking point for us to talk about right now. If they'd been doing this all all year, we wouldn't care by this point of the year. It'd be just another thing. Just like if they made batters, getting the batters box quickly, and they actually tried to speed up the game and said, you can't step out. And if you were going to issue a ball, and then when a batter actually does, they do issue a ball, and it's a huge talking point for a week, and then suddenly batters don't step out of the box. And then suddenly right. it's it's a moot point, and we just move on. Mm-hmm. And that's all this is. It's a talking point for a week. It's great for the game to get it out, is the whole sunscreen and rosin aspect where that's a legal substance versus spider attack, not a legal substance. Sure, like that's true. But numerous other outlets have said it, and it's true. If they actually tried to police the substance today, you'd get pushback from the players' union as opposed to just an outright ban, yeah. and suddenly you're in legal murky water where nothing's getting done. So the MLB is actually making a solid decision. They actually want to accomplish something, which it appears they do. They just should have had foresight and done this in the offseason because yeah. everyone knows that Spider-Tech's been around since before the start of this season. But in classic MLB fashion, they de- delayed and delayed and delayed and are making players look bad while CBA is about to come up. It's just such a coincidence this always happens this way. It just it makes the sport look so bad. I think that's the part that I have the most trouble with is it's just it looks so silly right now. And there was no reason to yeah. draw this much attention to it. I mean, it, it does. And I think the reason they're drawing attention to it is they're trying to make baseball players look like morons in the court of public opinion. And they are willing to hurt their short term, short term profit and hurt their short term overall look and frankly make the game look stupid in order to get long-term profits. And when I say long-term, I mean profits next season, not actual true long-term profits. It's the people running the sport don't give a shit about the sport. It's We see it time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. The decisions they make are not about making the sport the best entertainment, are not about upholding the integrity of sport. They're about attaining the most monetary dollars through the revenue of owning a sports team. It's it's a fact of life if you're a baseball fan. It's a fact I've come to accept that will never change in my lifetime and, frankly, is probably never going to change. Once people started owning teams who weren't players, the interest and devotion to the game of baseball has decreased, and it will continue to decrease because people who look at sports and see how much of a cash cow they are are going to try and try and get in and try and make them more their cash. It's It's extremely frustrating but it's not unique to baseball it's just happening in baseball today when the nfl has a stupid rule that happens and pass interference happens and it shouldn't happen or it does happen and it shouldn't happen and they add another convoluted rule where if you take three steps and go to your right then it is past whatever the heck they write up it's all stupid and it's all a talking point and then it all just goes away eventually because the overall addition of one more rule doesn't make or break anything 
This is just one more rule in the gigantic rule book, and it's already a rule that exists. It just wasn't being enforced, and it's it's much ado about nothing. Yeah, and people get frustrated. Is it a catch? Is it not a catch? You can review. Um, you can review pass interference. You can't review pass interference anymore. It's just one of those things that they throw out there, and it feels like football is better at making it work and finding a way to make it work because we saw in the NFL, a lot of people were in an uproar about essentially when it came to roughing a quarterback and things like that, when it was getting whistled super hard in the preseason. But then when the regular season rolled around, those calls weren't happening as much and everybody was fine with it after that. Yeah. You know uh, what the NFL did was actually something mildly smart and that they over-enforced in the preseason had a lot of penalties when no one cared about wins and losses so right. that when the actual season started and people pushed the boundaries a little bit, where they pushed it to, the NFL was already accepting of it. You know, if baseball had outright banned all substances during spring training and ejected guys during spring training, no one gives a shit about the result of the spring training game. Right. No one cares that some middle reliever didn't get their extra inning of work that day on the main field and had right. to go to the backfields to do it. No one cares. And then suddenly when the actual season rolls around, it's a non-topic. But those are decisions being made by people who understand social dynamics and understand how things actually get done, whereas baseball is just run by corporate morons who are just like, I want money, and they don't really think about it. And they don't hire people who are there to think about it and understand that the main goal is to make money while also making the sport look good, whereas baseball just appears to just be like, I want money. They don't care at all about how the sport looks. That's the difference. One, it at least understands the value of looking good, even if ultimately they don't get policed by it. The other right. just doesn't care. And I think that's the frustrating part about Manfred is that Manfred, more than anything, it seems like he, from what I've understood, he never really wanted this job. He is more of a guy who was more on the finance side of things. It feels like this whole thing is just kind of a delayed reaction to the Astros cheating that he just blatantly missed and then didn't really come and get them for. And now we're going to get these guys who are using substances to throw pitches. That doesn't really make sense either. I mean, baseball's hell-bent on making sure that baseball is never the one that looks bad. That's what they want to do. The owners and the people, it's always somebody else's issue. It's always, oh, look at this guy. He did steroids. He's the bad person, not us, the policing body that's supposed to make sure steroids don't happen, that let them run rampant throughout the sport for years and years and years and said it was okay. Not us. We were totally fine. It's the guy who actually did that. It's the blame game. And it's just Rob Manfred's a classic lawyer. He's making sure he doesn't get blamed. That's what he does. That's what those people do. The commissioner of baseball is supposed to uphold the integrity of baseball. And for, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years, that's not their job. Their job is to make the owners money. It's not actually that. The job was created for one thing. It's executed as something else. And again, it's just a big crock of BS. It's just all junk. And when you look at the reality of what's happening, it's just, it's all cash grab. And it, it, it sucks that we keep talking about it. But it always comes back to the same central point. They're just trying to make as much money as possible. They're trying to blame the players at this current moment 
because the CBA is coming up and it's going to make the players look bad and they're going right. to not look good. And then they have leverage in the CBA in order to make money. It's, it's a big convoluted mess. Like, you know, we could talk about how Pete Alonso said, oh, you know, they're manipulating the ball so that the ball during off seasons when the pitchers are going to come up, the ball is flying out like crazy. And then in the off seasons where hitters are coming up in free agency, the main high dollar guys, uh, it's going to be uh, a dead ball. So pitchers are pitch well. And while that seems like it could be a bit of a stretch, what isn't a stretch is the fact that the MLB can create the idea of that and can execute the idea of that and can create whatever they want, whenever they want. So as long as they're able to create doubt in the negotiations, they win. So if an owner can go, well, you know, the ball, we don't know what's going on with the ball. It doesn't even matter what direction the ball is going. They can just use that as leverage. It's free leverage for the ownership. And that's the whole point is it all just comes down to mastering their economic value. And it's a dead horse that I beat every time we talk about these things. But it's a dead horse I beat because there are so many people out there who don't realize that's the horse. Yeah. And there's a reason that over the last few years, it was more like a golf ball where it was slicker and it would travel through the air better and it was a little bit smaller compared to now where they've decided that this is the ball that it is. And you look at hitters having a batting average that's at an all-time low. Yeah, and, you know, again, you're, the game's about creating incentive. Defense figured out through mathematics and, and actually paying attention that if you just go to where they hit the ball, even if it doesn't look nice, they're going to have to adjust and hit the ball somewhere else. And hitters have realized, well, yeah, I can adjust and hit 290 with empty slugging percentage, or I can just slug for home runs, and what does it do? It creates about the same amount of runs, but it gets me paid a lot more, and it's what my team wants me to do. So I'm going to do it. I'm just going to try and hit it over everyone. And it's created a horrendous product, and the MLB has been like, mm, I, the game will police itself? I don't know. We're the legislating body of a sport that's existed for 140 years that has had many, many, many rule changes and drastically changed its shape. But right now, we can't do anything because I don't know. But the reality is, is they don't want to make a decision because if they make a decision, they have to stand by a decision. If they can just avoid a decision, then it's somebody else's fault. It's, it's classic horrendous leadership. It's just, it's frustratingly bad, but also extremely expected. The next move is going to be Manfred sending everybody to their own special little hitting zones where they have to stand until the ball is hit into play, and then you can move to wherever you need to move to. Yeah, like, in my eyes, it's extremely easy to create an illegal defense. There's one in football. There's one in baseball. Or one in basketball. There should be one in baseball. Baseball is dying to make itself look like these other sports. Create a rule that's in the other ones that actually helps your sport. Oh, you just can't have anyone on the outfield grass other than three players. That's very easy to deal with. That's not something that's hard to come up with. Why MLB doesn't do it, I, I don't understand. I'll never understand. I don't get it. it. It's just beyond me why they won't create an illegal defense when it's such a clear and obvious answer, and they just refuse to do it because doing it means taking ownership that was something wrong. There, there was something wrong and that they needed to fix it. They just ignore it. They can just keep claiming there's nothing wrong. It's just, it's 
the antics of a baby brain. It's, it's not <laughs> the adult world. And because they have no competition, they can just do what they want. Yeah. Well, looking at things from a fantasy perspective, Garrett yes. Cole had a spin rate that was his lowest since 2017. That's not saying dump Garrett Cole by any means, but is there reason for concern here? Uh, I mean, there's going to be a spin rate drop for, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 fantasy relevant pitchers. Like the vast majority of pitchers are all going to suddenly just see their spin rates drop. And we're all going to go, oh, how, why, why is that happening? But the reality is, is if every pitcher's ERA went up two runs tomorrow, Garrett Cole's still one of the best pitchers. Why? Because they're all on the same level. Now Garrett Cole is a 3-7 ERA instead of a 1-7 ERA. Well, he's still one of the best because the entire league went up. If all pitchers are getting worse, there's no cause for concern. It's all relative. So if I'm a Garrett Cole owner, I'm not worried at all. If I'm a Wade Miley owner, maybe I'm a little bit more concerned because Wade Miley hasn't historically been good even when he's not using spider tech. But mm -hmm. overall, I don't I don't see any cause for concern. It, again, the spider tech issue is a very pressing issue right now. But even in the world of fantasy, it's it's kind of a non-factor. All pitchers are getting worse. They're all the same. Yeah. Um, one thing that is good right now is our sponsor for tonight, Yard Barbers. Hate spending those long summer days doing yard work. We have just the solution, Yard Barbers LLC. Yard Barbers LLC is a local full-service lawn care company looking to provide the Quad Cities with quality and affordable outdoor services. Don't wait and fall to the back of the line. Contact Yard Barbers right now for free yard evaluation and estimates. Find Yard Barbers on Facebook at Yard Barbers LLC or send them an email at yardbarbersqc at gmail.com. Uh, another big story going on uh, in baseball right now is Wander Franco, up, uh, the number one prospect in all of baseball. He showed a flair for the dramatic uh, with his uh, first home run being a three-run home run to tie the game the other night. He's the lost Franco brother, but he looks like he's doing well to start off. Are you buying in immediately? Because it looks like he's here to stay. Uh, I mean, I'm buying him as a long-term guy. Obviously, it's very easy to say, yes, I'm buying the number one overall prospect. Right. Short-term? No, not buying. It's Tampa Bay. I am not convinced they're just going to let this guy come up, play every day, and be a superstar. I, they're just not going to do it. And even if they do do it, I don't love Wander Franco's profile as this elite world beater from day one. I get it. He's the number one overall prospect. But as far as number one overall prospects go, he's low on my board. People probably won't want to hear that. Uh, I know a lot of people disagree with this, and it's not a popular opinion, but in a redraft league, if I've got him, I'm selling him immediately today. I think his price will not be higher than it is today. I think he could definitely put up rest of season value, but is it going to be excellent value? No, he's a rookie. He's very unlikely to show up in the middle of June and just become a fantasy difference maker. In all likelihood, he's going to be a fringe 12-man guy who's going to have some really cold streaks and some really nice hot streaks and be everything that a rookie is. He's going to have weak on base value, which really doesn't matter in a 5x5, five five, and he's going to have some decent pop, but he plays a position with a lot of pop already there. Shortstop isn't exactly thin, and he's just someone who I think 
has a lot of name brand value and a lot of recognition in Dynasty, and that's seeped over into Redraft. And I think in both, I'm tempted to sell him at his price right now. I, I really am. I know it's not the thing that really ever gets recommended. You wait and you wait and you wait and you hit on your prospect finally. You want him to become your superstar. And I'd just rather deal him. Like if I could get hit Cody Bellinger for him in a dynasty league, I'm pulling that trigger instantly. I don't know if that's necessarily out there, but I know if it is, I'm easily doing it. So I don't know who I'm taking at a, oh, I'm not so sure level. But regardless, I'm lukewarm on Wander Franco as the next superstar. I'm more warm on him as the next solid guy. Is he Marcus Simeon? Is that someone you are dying to roster for his entire career? I don't know. Like, if he's Bo Bichette, that's good. Bo Bichette's good. But, like, that's uh, the fifth best shortstop, maybe? The, the seventh best? Like, you know, sell the hype. Sell the hype. Yeah. Yeah. And right now, it seems like they don't have anybody to really take time away from him. But you're right. Tampa Bay kind of does what Tampa Bay does. And they move people around. They send them down for no reason. They bring them back up for no reason. Yeah, you know, exactly what you're saying. When you look at it right now, you go, oh, the shortstop job is his. He'll be good. But when he goes one for 17 against some good pitchers, oh, suddenly Taylor Walls is starting every two days. Why? Because Tampa Bay. And, oh, Taylor Walls got a little hot. Oh, he's now got two-thirds of the playing time this week. The, the consistency that you need in fantasy is very, very rare in Tampa Bay. It's just kind of how it goes. Tampa Bay operates in an excellent real-world way by manipulating all the dumb rules that exist out there and just making sure they never pay any players and they only get them at low costs and making 70,000 transactions. That's great for Tampa Bay. It's horrible for real baseball. It's horrible for fans. Yeah. So... And say Wander Franco stays up long enough to lose his prospect status. Who do you think should take his place as that title of uh, number one overall prospect in baseball? I mean, I haven't deep dove on anything so far this year for prospect wise. I'll be the first to admit it. Uh, real in season stats right now in terms of moving guys up and down who are already at the top. I frankly don't care about it. Uh, I'll see how the offseason gives me results because in a trade, whoever you think is the number one guy, the seller is going to say he is, the buyer is going to say he isn't, and there's no true answer because that number is not there. So you just got to wait. So I'll say Spencer Torkelson, but really this time of year, this is when you go and you find the next hot prospect, not someone who's already hot who's going to graduate to the hottest. I, I really don't care about that. I really don't know. Uh, I'll pay attention to the guys who are doing well, but it's it's kind of irrelevant number one to number two to number three in my mind it's great good and bad yeah because you're right prospects can come out of nowhere and trying to anticipate them is kind of a fool's errand sometimes because you have guys like jake cronenworth who was maybe 25 in san diego's prospect pipeline and he comes up and he's been excellent and uh, Zach Gallon is another guy who was barely on the radar, and he had an outstanding um, season in AAA, and then all of a sudden he's on the major league roster, and he's off to Arizona, and he's good. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's exactly that. The prospects are prospects because they have all the tools to put it together, not because they're already put together. Sometimes guys who don't have the clear and obvious tools show up. And, and while it's nice and, and dynasty leagues are created in order to, to build your system up, the reality is, is if you have one, two, three, four, and five, you made some bad trades. You shouldn't have those guys. You should have some good guys. How you acquire them and when you acquire them, it's all league dependent, but you want to have a balance of everything. Frankly, the best strategy is to have a, some good older players, some good middle-aged players, some good younger players, some good prospects, some good recently drafted guys, and you just keep your pipeline going. That's the best way to build your team. Obviously, it's super difficult, but when you're looking at prospects and in-season thoughts, it's really it, it's a fool's errand. You don't know where anyone's going to be coming up. They're a prospect. <laughs> you don't know exactly what they're going to do other than you've got a number, and all the uh, prospect sites all rank the guys about the same, and they're all relatively the same type of player, either extremely toolsies, no results, college player with a ton of results, but a little bit older, or somewhere in the middle. And I, I just I don't focus a lot on in-season prospect stats because outside of guys just showing up out of nowhere, the Luis Garcia and Christian Javier's of the world, those guys who just show up and become studs when they weren't really projected to be much, I'll pay yeah. attention to that because I can find value immediately there. The other guys where I'm splitting hairs on are they three or are they 13 in the prospect rankings, not worth my time. All right. One prospect that's good for everybody is Monkey Knife Fights, one of our sponsors for tonight. Monkey Knife Fight is a daily fantasy sports gaming website for casual sports fans that is simple, fun, and easy to play. Users determine which superstars compete in the day's professional sporting events and will record more or less than the contested line provided. Monkey Knife Fight's daily fantasy prop games play similar to the salary cap-based DFS games, but without the algorithms, lineups, and most importantly, the Sharks. There are several contests to choose from, none of which require hours of research required on competing sites. Start with a simple 2x2 two two or go for the highest payouts, 100 times and higher, by selecting an 8x8 eight eight more or less contest. Get started now with a 100% instant match bonus of $50 with promo code FFSQC. And one guy, James, who really had a lot of clout, especially in the minor leagues, coming up and never really lived up to it, I guess temporarily lived up to it, but didn't live up to it long-term was Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber in the Cubs system by one of their inside guys was said to be, I think it was babe effing Ruth. And of course, nobody's going to live up to that, but Kyle Schwarber came onto the scene. He looked like he had the potential to be that guy. Injuries obviously got in the way, taking an entire season away from him, and then maybe rushing back for 2016 in the playoffs um, might have hurt him the following years. So you take a look at the way his career has progressed. All of a sudden, Kyle Schwarber looks like the guy he may have started off being and or maybe even the guy that the Cubs intended him to be. Are you buying Kyle Schwarber or is this a guy where you sell high? I mean, to, to me, he's honestly probably a hold you know, uh, it's 2021 baseball, so even with spider tax slowly getting removed, he's hitting 240, which is, like, great. That's that's awesome. That's that's extremely well. That's not to be projected going forward for a guy like Kyle Schwarber, 
Why? Because teams can't even do that, let alone someone who's a power-hitting lefty who takes his walks and has his strikeouts. You know, he's, he's someone we know. So maybe in a redraft, maybe he puts it together the rest of this year, and he ends up as a fringe top 20 overall outfielder. Right. You know, that's great, but in a dynasty, it's still Kyle Schwarber. Who's he going to play for next year? The Nationals, yeah, maybe they throw him a two-year deal or a one-year deal. Maybe someone gets spicy and gives him a three-year deal. But in the reality, he's a power-hitting outfielder who has holes in his average, has high on-base percentage, and has become a serviceable to maybe a little bit above average outfielder. But that could flip at you know the drop of a hat. He could all of a sudden be fringe first-base DH guy who's out of baseball. That's what happens to these power-hitting outfielders. And yeah, he was supposed to be Babe Evan Ruth, but he's had a long career that tells us he's not. You know, uh, I, I'd say a comparable comparison. He he's Jay Bruce. You know, that's that's a nice little career you got right there. Jay Bruce was supposed to be a lot better than he was, which is just a very, very, very good outfielder for a very long time. And I think that's what Schwarber is. He's going to always feel underwhelming because he never lived up to that godlike potential. But the reality is, is he's a very usable, rosterable asset who's going to be awesome when he's on and not that good when he's cold. And overall, his end numbers are going to be fine. And I'm expecting that to continue, which means he's just had his world-beating hot streak. So that cold streak's coming. I'm just playing the laws of averages. I'm selling Schwarber if someone's trying to buy him, but I don't think anybody's buying him. I don't think anyone with a brain in a fantasy league is going, wow, Kyle Schwarber's the guy. I got to go and pay for him. They all know he's Kyle Schwarber. Yeah. I think the Jay Bruce comparison is a good one because Jay Bruce – it seemed like during his hot streaks, he was very streaky. And during his hot streaks, it's, it was like, I need Jay Bruce on my team. Once you have Jay Bruce on your team, you're sitting there thinking, why is Jay Bruce on my team? Yeah. And you know what my favorite game is? And I've probably said this before on the podcast, but my favorite game is watching Adam Duvall when he's cold and just <laughs> finding the two for four game and adding it. And he's now two for his past 22, but I'm going, here comes the hot streak. I've done it twice this year, and then I've cut him when he went cold. And it's the most amazing feeling in the world when you can watch it happen, and it's someone as easily predictable as Adam Duvall. You know he's going to have these streaks. You know they're coming. All you have to do is watch him, see he went two for four, see, oh, he's got some games coming up against bad teams. Why don't we add him? And then you just sit there and you reap, reap the rewards. It's it's so. It's so simple, and Kyle Schwarber's kind of the rich man's version of that. He's never going to become that cuttable. He's not going to have the woes that Adam Duvall has, but it's the same concept of you start him when he's going to be hot, and when he's cold, you hopefully can use a bench spot to just sit him and let somebody else play. Obviously, when you're talking deeper leagues, it's a whole different ball game. but in a 12-man league, that's what he is. He's a rotational outfielder who you roster over the course of a season, Versus a set it and forget it guy. Adam Duvall has like, I was thinking about him this week too, because it seems like Adam Duvall has this weird, like superpower where he finds any way that a team has slighted him by either like cutting him or like dragging him a little bit. And all of a sudden he's going to get them for whatever reason. It happened to the Braves. Braves got 
got good by Adam Duvall. The Cubs got got good by Adam Duvall. You, and he's been cut by so many teams that he has reasons to feel slighted by so many teams. Maybe that's where his hot streaks come from. To me, Adam Duvall is kind of the prototype 2021 baseball player. A ton of power, no real defense, not even really on-base skills, but like on-base skills relative to his average are good, but his average is just absolute junk when you look at the grand scheme of things. And what does he do? He finds a pitcher, finds a weak spot in the pitcher in that moment, and just crushes the ball. That's all he does. It's all he does. He has no skills outside of hitting the ball hard. And what does that make him? That makes him sometimes the best hitter for a week and sometimes absolutely awful. That's what baseball's become. It's what a lot of things become, a game of extremes. Sometimes he's extremely good. Sometimes he's extremely bad. And if you can only have him when he's extremely good, the rewards are so beautiful. If you only have him when he's extremely bad, you hate everything. That's <laughs> that's what the sport is now. There's a reason that like two to three teams have given up on him now, though. So it, it makes total sense what you're saying. Exactly. And, you know, there, there's always an Adam Duvall for every generation. You know, you think of a guy like Willie Mo Pena. I remember Willie Mo. He would have these streaks where he'd go three homers back-to-back games, and he'd, on the season, hit nine homers. But he had that streak where he just went insane. And it's it's a type of ball player that's always existed, at least in my lifetime, where you just have unlimited raw power and everything else sometimes comes together, but for the most part, it doesn't, and it's just it's bad. But, I mean, people cut him for a reason. It's exactly like what you said. Once you hold on to him for a while and you realize, oh, this guy isn't getting better, this is this guy, you don't want him all the time. You only want him during the hot streak. Yeah, that Chris Carter kind of batting profile where you see all the power and you just are in awe of it, but you know that that's not going to last. Yeah, I mean, Chris Carter led the league in home runs, hit 41 home runs. The rest of his career, he had eight. <laughs> Didn't get hurt. He just kept being Chris Carter, and team said, we'll go pay someone a lot cheaper. And that's yeah. probably what will happen with Duvall. The second he starts asking for any sort of money, he'll be gone. But until then, fantasy players, wait for the two for four. And when you see it, get it. <laughs> I like it. Well, one thing I haven't been able to wrap my head around, and there's probably a good reason for it, and I know the reason is probably injuries, but why are the Yankees bad? Or at least not as good as they should be? Uh, short answer, they're relying on stop gaps to be good. Like, you go and you brought in Jamison Tyon. Yeah, he was good in 2018. His arm hasn't worked since then, but... Yeah, maybe he'll be good. Oh, you go add Corey Kluber. Yeah, he was good in 2018. His arm hasn't worked since then. Oh, Jordan Montgomery has to give you innings. Not, it'd be a luxury if he gives them to you. He has to. Oh, well, when those guys fall apart and you go, why are they bad? It's because you brought in pieces that are designed to fall apart. You, you know, I know they were hoping that some of them stuck together, but, you know, I'm hoping Cleveland wins the World Series. Hope doesn't do much. Actual execution does stuff. You know, the Yankees outfield, the way they run their offense is just, uh, I'd say, conservatively, it's perplexing. You know, uh, not conservatively, it's extremely stupid and dumb and wrong. John Carlos Stanton can't play back-to-back -back games 
because his legs are so brittle? What what world is this? I, I, like, again, I understand the game now is the regular season is meaningless. We want to just make the playoffs and just do whatever we can there. I get that. That's the game. It's the way it is in the NBA. NFL wants to get there and add games. We all want to make the regular season meaningless and just an exercise before the postseason. So the Yankees are treating it like it's meaningless, and it's costing them because it's not actually meaningless. It, it's less meaning than it's ever been, but it's not meaningless yet. And it's, as a fan, and as you know, someone who has the long-term interests of baseball, and you look at a team like the Yankees, the greatest team in the history of the sport, a team that has money and continually has money and continually makes money hand over fist, and they won't spend any money in the offseason. They're going to bring in all these nickel and dime guys. They're going to trade for Rudin and Odor because of his cost as opposed to his skill. Just keep playing him endlessly because of his cost as opposed to his skill, and then just be mediocre and not care. It's it's horrific to watch. The whole The whole build of it is so fucking bad and i don't understand why baseball or well correction i understand why baseball does it it's extremely sad that baseball is like this is fine the reason they're fine is because they don't have to spend money all the teams don't have to spend money so they make money so it's fine and it's not like they're losing money by putting out a bad product we all watch baseball no matter what we all have podcasts about baseball no matter what so the product doesn't matter product could be absolutely trash and we just talk about how it's trash They've got too many built-in fans, but it's long story short. The Yankees suck because of the design of baseball. I get it. It it's just kind of frustrating when you look at the way teams' rosters are and salaries are, and you have a team like the Yankees that could spend literally the same amount on one player as the Pittsburgh Pirates have put into their entire roster. Yeah, and then once they spend that amount, they're all about trying to make great cash-saving trades. They gave Adam Adovino away for free to the Red Sox purely to save cap space in a sport that technically doesn't have any cap. Why did they do it? Not because they would lose money on a whole. It's not because the Yankees would be operating in the red and they were right at their true actual cap. And even if they did operate in the red, they'd like go bankrupt and have to fold as a team. Yeah. It's so far away from that, it's the reality is, is they just wanted to make a little bit more money. So they, I mean, does Adam Adovino mean that much for the Yankees? Probably not. But, you know, they could have spent another $10 million on a starter and not hodgepodge a weak rotation and, you know, paid for Trevor Bauer. But uh, they don't want to do that because it cost them a little bit more money. Not because it actually hurts the team and the Steinbrenners will lose money and lose value and go into debt and have to pick up a second job. Uh, <laughs> none of that's happening. It's it's just it's it's a sad world. It, it it's kind of crazy that the young '90s Cleveland fan in me is going. The Yankees need to be good and they need to be the big bad because we need to have a big bad because without a big bad. It's not baseball. It's just a junk hodgepodge of nothing. You can do it in the NBA where the entire regular season has never meant anything. That's not how baseball works. Yeah. 
and it's rough right now. So I, you know, that Yankees brand is really in trouble. They might lose their spot as like the most like iconic brand in all of sports. So we've got to watch out for that. It's sad, but true. <laughs> um, looking at, uh, I was offered a trade and I want your opinion on it. Uh, I still need pitching because Marcus Stroman is kind of on whether he's going to be healthy or not. It sounds like he's not going to miss his next start, but there's reasons for concern. Anytime a guy gets pulled from injury, I have Joey Votto who is hitting the ball well when he's not fighting umpires, but he's hitting the ball really well. He's coming back off his injury. He has a profile where he is expected on base is one of the highest in the league. He's hitting the ball harder than he ever has. Should I give up Joey Votto, who's an everyday player, for a pitcher like Adam Wainwright, who's playing out of his mind this year, but at the same time, he's Adam Wainwright. So it's just kind of a, I don't really have a good feel for what I should do in that situation. I mean, it's tough because you're talking about two players who are old and could fall apart at any moment. You know, why? Just because they're old, not because they're bad players. They're both kind of borderline Hall of Famers in in all likelihood. They're they're close. And in today's world, I I err on the side of keeping the hitter. I've been playing fantasy baseball for a long time. I've always built my teams around wanting to have a great offense through the draft. And I will just find pitching where I can find it. And in today's world, where hitting is so scarce, and a guy like Joey Votto is somehow very good, despite him being 38-year-old Joey Votto, I'd just rather hold that and then just play the waiver wire with my weakest roster spot. If you're talking a standard 12-man, no, you can go grab somebody. I was like, hey, I'm going to go with Jake Odorizzi this week on a two-start week against Baltimore and I think Detroit. I was like, that's worth it. And it's going to be worth it already. He already had yeah. a great first start, even if he blows up in the second one. It's well worth my time. And if you just give yourself a little bit of knowledge into spending the time and looking at two-star pitchers and just tracking who Baltimore and Detroit play, you'll find yourself plenty of victories, whereas you can't really track pitching staffs that way. Pitching staffs don't really work. Even Baltimore and Detroit, you might try and add a guy, oh, they're only there for three games, and oh, it's not. It's, oh, they went one for seven with three walks. Uh, that's That didn't really do anything for you. So if you don't have a transaction cap, it's easily Votto just because he's a hitter. Yeah. And one pitcher that I've been looking at a lot lately and just kind of perplexed by is Kevin Gossman. Because Kevin Gossman, throughout his entire career, has been one of those guys who is going to probably get an injury at some point and miss a lot of time. But he's been sensational this year. Sub-2 ERA, um, trending closer to 1. I just feel like he's got to turn into a pumpkin at some point. I do. Uh, I agree with you completely. It's Kevin Gosman. He's not the stud of all studs. He's Kevin Gosman. But there's a lot of pitchers who just have that year where they just are that guy. They're a borderline Cy Young winner, or they win it, and you just go, what? I mean, you can look at Rick Porcello, who obviously didn't have the secondary numbers, but he did want to Cy Young and have a great year. You think of R.A. Dickey, where he put together a three-year stretch that was very dominant with one extremely dominant year. You know, these guys show up all the time. Kevin Gosman is probably a better pitcher than R.A. Dickey, probably a better pitcher than anyone else I've named, 
but he's still Kevin Gosman. He's not Jacob DeGrom. He's not Clayton Kershaw. He's not any of these other guys. But this is this is probably his year. You know, his profile being Jake Arrieta, that's not crazy, where he has one insane year, a few very solid years, and then the rest of his career is just kind of hit or miss. I, I don't think that's crazy in the sense that it's realistic. It, it, it's always odd to look at a player and go, I don't think they're very good, but this is probably their year, and they look excellent right now. And I'm playing in a redraft, so yeah, I'm going to overpay for something called Kevin Gosman in the sense that I'm going to pay a bigger name, and I'm going to reap the rewards this year, and I don't have to worry about the future. And leagues where I do, I don't want Kevin Gosman. I think he's an upcoming free agent. Someone's going to pay him, and then he's going to turn into a guy who's overpaid but solid. You know, I'm... I'm staying away. Whatever's going on in San Francisco is its just beautiful. Uh, I'll, I'll butcher his name, but I think it's Farhad Zahn, the, the guy who came over from Los Angeles. He's done absolute wonders. That entire roster is full of old, decrepit, bad baseball players, and they're the best team in baseball. Their pitching staffs, Alex Wood, Kevin Gosman, Johnny Cueto, Anthony Descafani, Aaron Sanchez, all guys who other teams have just given up on actually putting it together, they're all putting it together at the same time. I don't know what goes on in their player development and their player ops, but they do that. They create Mike Yastrzemski. Steven Duggar's good now. Austin <laughs> Slater starts hitting for power. Evan Longoria's a huge loss when he gets hurt. Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt don't age, even though they've been the same player for the past decade, yeah. even when it used to be a lot easier to hit. There, it's whatever San Francisco's doing. I want my team to do it because to me, they're the next Tampa Bay. I'm going to give them that kind of high praise. Whatever, whatever it is, it's good. Well, we were just talking about how the Yankees tried to duct tape a bunch of stuff together, and then you look at San Francisco and they duct taped a bunch of stuff together, and it actually worked. Yeah, exactly. And I think the difference between the Yankees and San Francisco is the Yankees treat their players like they're brittle little dolls that if they fall off the shelf will crack and die. San Francisco lets their players play baseball and teaches them how to play baseball and and has their arms learn how to throw the ball often. So when they throw the ball often, their body's like, hey, I know how to throw the ball often. And they play their players in back-to-back games and let them swing at the ball six times in the span of two days. And it's okay. Why? Because it's baseball. And we've seen for 150 years, you can play baseball back-to-back days and not have your body fall apart. But when you treat the other players like the Yankees do, like they are just delicate little babies who cannot handle physical activity despite being world-class athletes, well, yeah, their bodies don't have the ability to have endurance because they're not trained for endurance. They don't get to have the reps of endurance. It's 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 such a it's why the integral parts of a team actually matter. It's why philosophy matters because yeah, they're both two duct tape teams, and one team is duct taped beautifully, and you can't even see the duct tape anymore because it's turned to stone. And the other one, the duct tape's falling apart, and it's just leaking all over the place. And you're going, why is this the way it is? Uh, one guy that I think is similar to Kevin Cosman um, is Eric Freddie on the Nationals. And I've been interested in what he's doing because I've always looked at him as just a guy. 
and he's given you reason to think he's just a guy. His war has been right around one, if not below water, for his entire career. This year, he's been excellent. His ERA is below four, uh, getting close to three. He's striking out almost nine. Um, he has almost nine strikeouts per nine at this point. And Eric Freddie is just a guy. Is this just the year that he's great? or as great as Eric Freddie can be, or is there something more to this guy where he's figured it out in like his age 28 season? I mean, there was a time when I was probably the world's biggest Eric Freddie stan. I was obsessed with him. I thought he was going to be the next great frontline starter on a Washington team that just builds frontline starters. Right. And then he decided he can't really go deep into games and he gets hit around against good teams. And like you said, he's a guy. And now suddenly he's not a guy. And I'm impressed with this fact. But I also have a lot of evidence that he is a guy and my initial love of him was misplaced. And, you know, maybe I'm that guy who doesn't course correct enough. Maybe I'm the guy who goes, hey... I don't like this person and I'm too cautious and someone just grabs them and reaps the rewards. I'm not saying don't roster Eric Fetty, but don't expect good things out of Eric Fetty when he goes up against offenses that are not trash. That's what I'm saying. So yeah, his ERA is approaching three. It's like three and a third right now, something like that. That's good. But in today's baseball, that's not even that good. The pitching is so dominant right now that three and a quarter is like solid, it's fantasy worthy, but a few bad starts and he's not fantasy viable. He, yeah. He's close, but he's not all the way there. And, you know, I loved him. I thought him and Robert Stevenson were going to be the next great frontline starters. And instead, they're the next fringe fifth mans in your rotations or bad second relievers in Colorado. But, you know, it, it's take everything with a grain of salt. I, I always like to add guys and go, hey, Maybe they're going to put it together right now, but in all likelihood, they're on a hot streak. Let's ride it, and then let's cut it. You know, in a, a totally different direction, but the same idea. I've got Jonathan Scoop on most of my teams right now. It's Jonathan Scoop. He's not good. He's never going to be good. He's going to hit for power and be streaky. And right now, he's pretty hot, and I'm going to ride him until it's not hot. It's very easy to cut him. We know exactly who he is. But with Eric Fetty, we go, oh, maybe there's a little bit more there, when in reality... He is who he is. He's a guy who's doing well. Tanner Rourke did real well for a year, and then he went back to being a guy. Why? Because he always was a guy who just put together a decent streak. I'm going to date myself, but when I worked at Blockbuster and people would be like, I couldn't tell if it was a movie I liked or not, my feeling was always, you know if it was a movie you liked or not, because if you liked it, you would know that. And the fact that you don't know if you like it or not probably tells you that you don't like it. That is a perfect perspective that people really need to think about with fantasy players. You know, often you see someone get dropped and you go, is that worth my waiver claim? Am I going to put, you know, a decent amount of my FA budget on that? Or am I just going to let it ride? And if you have to think and not react, then you already know the answer. You know, I'm in a redraft league and someone cut DJ LeMahieu. And I went, so why would you cut DJ LeMahieu? I like this. And then I went and looked at my very good offense and I went, do I want to spend my FA budget getting DJ Wamehu and cutting JP Crawford? 
is DJ LeMahieu better than J.P. Crawford the rest of the season? Do I even want to make this transaction? And ultimately, I didn't put in the bid. I said I didn't want to do it. I went from being at the top of this guy's a moron for cutting him to not even bidding on him. Why? Because I was faced with the reality of what I had to do. And when you look at a guy like Eric Fetty, if he's sitting on my free agent wire right now, I'm not in a rush to add him. Maybe he's got a good matchup coming up. Maybe I do go and add him, but I'm not dying to get him on my roster. Even if he was a name brand like DJ LeMahieu, it's the same idea. I'm not dying to put a mediocre player on my team. Maybe he won't be mediocre and I'll miss the boat, but maybe I hit the boat because I'm rotating in a ton of other mediocre players and I hit on a guy like Kyle Gibson who's been on my roster all season and has been an yeah. absolute stud. It's You add a guy when they're hot and you wait for him to get cold and sometimes they don't get cold. But I wouldn't have endorsed Kyle Gibson at the start of the year as this great rest of the season value. I would have endorsed him as, hey, you know, he might be putting together something in Texas. He's got a likelihood of getting innings. He's got a likelihood of pitching deep into games because that bullpen's going to be atrocious. So why don't we see what he does? And then I hit on it. Not because I had this master knowledge, but because I just played the odds. And your odds are better when you keep playing. So rotate guys in. And when they start stinking, get rid of them. You're Anthony Discalifani's of the world. It just, exactly. they hit at the right time and they're the guy. It, you know, it, it's exactly what it is. And when you, if you have to ask yourself, do I like this guy? The answer is already no. You don't even have to answer the question. If you feel the need to ask the question, that's your answer. Well, we better get out of here before Joe Girardi storms in and tries to fight someone. So for James Vecchio, I'm Chris Steele. This has been the Payoff Pitch. We'll see you all next week.